Good morning, Denver Prez. Uh, please hear now the word of God from 1 Samuel. Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing by, hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish, the commanders of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years, and since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back, that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this David, of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest. And to me it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign. For I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, But what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to the battle. Now then, rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you, and start early in the morning, and depart as soon as you have the light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. But the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Altogether, the grass withers, the flower fades but the word of our God will stand forever. <clears throat> Please uh, remain standing as we pray together. Heavenly Father, this morning we come to you and we recognize there is a deep frailty to us, and not just our bodies, Lord, but our hearts. And we ask by your spirit that our hearts would be soft, we know that your word is given for our good. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to find that good and to um, receive your word. Teach us to sit under your word. Lord, some of us are here anxious to hear from you, and some of us aren't even sure why we're here. But meet with us all through your word. Illumine it that we might sing your praises. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. My name's Ronnie. I'm senior pastor here at Denver Prez. Um, before I begin, I want to uh, 
I have been on a pastoral retreat Monday through Friday, and I really want to thank the elders, um, Andrew and Ryan and Jeremy and Matt, Moon, Stephen, uh, Jason Farrar, Jason Walsh. Um, they really care about my inner life. Um, they care that I'm healthy, that I'm a healthy father and pastor. And so they have so graciously given me time to spend uh, extended time and uh, kind of a study and retreat week. And I'm just so thankful for that. Um, and for the staff who has to work doubly hard um, when I'm not around, I'm just profoundly thankful of the Denver Pres that y'all would just care enough about me to allow me to do this. So thank you so, so much. Um, if you're new, um, we've been studying for a bit now the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel from which our t- passage came, and we're nearing the very end. Uh, we've been studying the life of David, uh, specifically his rise to the throne. And, and when you look at David's life, it's extremely messy under the hood. But it's really important that we understand the person of David because we get to understand the person of Jesus through it. Sometimes there's a kind of virtue in seed form that we see in David and then it will become fully bloomed in in Jesus. But other times, you guys, there is such a painful failure in the life of David that is... Uh, that it begs us, like it begs us to look past him and say, who, who can be everything in a king that David could not be? And in that way, we get to see more of Jesus. And as we study this passage, I promise you it's going to be troubling. It is like, David's life is like mind-numbing, mind-boggling. And so before I help us unpack the details of this passage, I want to bring you to a New Testament passage with the Apostle Paul. Because in Paul, we're going to find good company. He's going to say, Paul's going to say this in Romans 11. He's going to say, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord like when we look at the details of David's life and understand like God's favor to him it's going to make very little sense it's going to make very little sense how unsearchable are God's judgments and how inscrutable his ways And here's why it's important for us, these passages are so important for us to spend time in. Because tracing the quiet mercy of God through the loud nonsense of David's life is meant to show you who God has been to you and to me. And that's what we're doing this morning So without further explanation, let's just jump into our study. We have two headings. We're going to look first at David's loud nonsense, 
And then we're going to look at God's quiet mercy. First, David's loud nonsense. Uh, This week, I saw a very famous YouTube video, and I'm pretty sure, based on how many views it had, that I'm the last person on this planet to see it. It is the shampoo prank. Have you guys seen this? Oh, my goodness. So it's like a video of a kid who appears to be in like a a pool, like a swimming pool shower room. Uh, I I gather that he's wearing his swim trunks and in the in the pool shower rooms, like there's multiple heads, and he's he's there alone. And this poor kid's, you know, his eyes are closed and his head is underneath the shower head, and he's washing the shampoo out of his hair. Now, without him knowing. His brother keeps adding a little bit more shampoo. And so he keeps rinsing and rinsing. But his brother keeps adding more and more shampoo. And just when he thinks he's got all the shampoo out, right, the brother would stealthily add a little bit more. And the kid can't see the guy adding more. Now, you can see this kid starting to panic, poor kid. He's starting to panic, violently scrubbing his head. And then you hear this voice in the back like, hurry up, we're trying to leave. And the kid starts screaming. I mean, he's panicking as he's overtaken by shampoo. And this video is the most absurd and amazing 150 seconds on YouTube. Got to see this. Why do I tell this story? Well, because it's awesome, first of all. But from, like, the camera's perspective, you can see the prankster. You can see the unseen hand, but the kid can't. Now, listen, God is no prankster, but he is present, even though David can't see him in this passage. See, in our passage, God is barely mentioned, and when he is, only on the lips of a pagan king. David never mentions God, but hear me now, he is the unseen mover of the entire story. What I want to do, I want to use this first point to summarize the context of chapter 29, because it really comes from chapter 27, and understanding chapter 27 will be absolutely vital to make sense of any of the details of chapter 29. So 27 is the context. In 28, you have that really interesting story of King Saul visiting the witch at Endor, which is like the beginning of the end for Saul. And then you get to 29 where we are. And it all happens fast, and the Old Testament stories take up several chapters. So let me, let me evaluate 27 now, and then we'll do 29 in our second point. So our passage picks up. David is still not the king. He's been on the run His relationship with King Saul is hot and cold, and presently it is extremely cold, deathly, dangerously cold. David has now attracted to himself about 600 guerrilla fighters, and he's living in the wilderness outside of the established order, and he's living among his traditional enemies, the Philistines. Now, his reason for living Israel, his words, chapter 27, he says, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. David is still afraid of being caught and killed 
by Saul. And so he's taking his chances by living among the Philistines. Now, for whatever reason, Achish, uh, the king of Gath, who kind of blew him off because he was like a crazy guy chapters before, strangely, is now drawn to David. And Achish makes David his bodyguard. And he even gives him a town called Ziklag to base out of with his men. Now, the Philistines as a people are marauders. Like, they're raiders, okay? And David has been living among them for 16 months. And uh, he begins to live, hear me on this, he begins to live their lifestyle. And this is the part of David's life that is really unpleasant to talk about. For these 16 months, chapter 27 tells us that David and his men would go outside on these raids. They would go outside of the Philistine territory to towns that are like en route to uh, Egypt. Um, some of Israel's ancient foes, like the Gerashites or the Amalekites. And David and his men would raid these towns and take no prisoners. They would kill every adult male plunder the town, and leave with their animals. And this made them quite rich. And then when Achish, the king of Gath, would ask about it, David would lie and say that he was doing this kind of thing against these Judean towns, these Israelite towns. And according to the text in chapter 27, David and his men killed everyone so that there would be no eyewitnesses and so that David could keep up the con, could keep up the lie, and no one would be alive to expose David's story when he would tell Achish. Now listen carefully. God does not tell David to do this. David plans and executes this plan. And we don't have access to all of the details, but I imagine that it is as awful as it sounds. This made David rich, and it allowed him to curry favor with his patron, with Achish, all the while evading Saul. And this is the context of this conversation in chapter 29. That's when David is having this conversation with Achish. This is, this is where David has been. Now, before we move any further, this is where I want us to sit. Because David lives with this divided and duplicitous heart. David is talented and charismatic, brave. But he is also violent and vindictive and selfish. And the blood on David's hands will haunt him until the day he dies. And the scriptures never explain this away or excuse it. The scriptures tell us who David was, and more importantly, though, who David was for, or who God was for David. And by doing so, it's teaching us who God is for us. The biblical writers feel like it's just much better play here just to, to, to give us a tell-all and for us to just see it for what it is, 
than to set up some sort of fake Bible hero who will forfeit all of our respect in an instant. And I don't know about you, but I know a little about living with a divided and duplicitous heart like David's. You know, I wish that there was more distance between David and me, but I am embarrassed to tell you that there is not. And I imagine most of you can relate to me. I imagine there might be a few of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, and I wonder what things in your life that you have set up for yourself that uh, maybe you're too busy or unreflective or the things that you do just so there's enough noise that you can keep up the pretense and have to think about that dividedness too hard. But in the stillness of a, a quiet moment, we all live with this like haunting guilt. And when we take time to trace our lives, there are things that we regret. We can see so much nonsense, so much selfishness. And our present lives are actually still reaping the consequences. We see it in our kids. We see it in our broken friendships and our broken marriages. I mean, we even see it in our geography. I mean, how did we get here instead of somewhere else? I mean, what's the story? any of this resonates with you, here's what I want you to know, is that your hope is outside of you. Our hope is outside of ourselves. My hope for life, for forgiveness, for any sense of change or good in my life rests outside of me. It rests in someone who is not me. And that was true for David. And that's true for me. And Denver Press, that is true for you. And, and redemption for David's nonsense rests in this unseen mover. Outside of himself, one who is barely mentioned in this text now, this double life and divided heart has put David in a very difficult situation. And this moves us to our second point. First, we looked at David's loud nonsense. Now, let's look at God's quiet mercy. So, about two weeks ago, my daughter, Allie, came to me looking for help on a Spanish project for her you know, Spanish class. And what she was um, tasked to do was to make this family tree uh, that, that traced her story by exploring um, our family's stories, kind of at each level of the family tree. And so we got on the phone together. We called the grandparents, and we wanted to ask the grandparents about their grandparents. And there were so many things that we learned. Some of them were funny, and some of them were sad. We learned that... Like our great-great-grandparents on my mother's side, they both had the exact two last names. They were both Villarreal Martinez, 
both sides had those two double last names, which means they were probably cousins who married each other. That's really uncomfortable. Uh, Sadder stories, we learned so many of our aunts and uncles and great aunts and uncles, so many of them died at birth. It was not an uncommon thing in this family tree. Multiple children would die, some at birth, but some around age 12, so many of them. Sometimes it was just the flu that took them out. Now, tracing all of these stories with my daughter helped me to understand me in real and important ways. In chapter 29, our passage today is the Bible's way of tracing a story. That's going to help us understand a little bit about ourselves. Let's look at the details. So our passage picks up in verse 1 with the Philistines and Israel. They're gathering at Aphek for this decisive confrontation. Now David's two lives are meeting, and he is in this impossible situation. He can fight with Achish and the Philistines as a kind of rear formation, but this means his 600 men will fight and kill his own people. Or He can join them, but then defect sort of mid-battle against his patron. But if this happens, and if they win, this will result in him being delivered over to Saul, which means a swift death for David. And here's the point. All the options are bad ones. Now, if David has any clever plan to get out of this, we certainly don't know it. I imagine he wishes this would all go away. His divided heart is catching up to him in this moment. So it happens in verse 3 when David and his men were parading in formation with Achish in front of the commanders and the lords of the Philistines. They say, what what are these Hebrews doing here? So the four nations often called Israel the Hebrews, all right? So when Achish hears this, he he comes to David's defense. He says, verse 3, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years? And since he deserted to to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. Now that would be the first of three times in our passage in which Achish asserts the innocence of David. During the third time, Achish says to David, verse 9, he says, I know you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. (laughs) This, ladies and gentlemen, is extreme and dramatic irony. Because we, the readers, know the real story of David. We know the con that David has kept up with Achish. And each time Achish asserts David's innocence, more and more tension is introduced into the story. Regardless of Achish vouching for David, the Philistine lords don't buy it. They are sure that he is going to defect mid-battle and reconcile with Paul. That's why they say, look there in verse 4, 
For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? That's a rhetorical question. Would it not be with the heads of the men here? In other words, David fighting with us means our guys getting their heads put on a platter. And then, and I swear this cracks me up. They say, don't you know, Akish, the Billboard Top 10 hit with that catchy tune that they wrote about David? And they sing that song again. We keep repeating the same song. Verse 5, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his 10,000. I mean, that song, you guys, has some serious legs. Royalty checks are coming in at this point. So, of course, Achish relents, calls David over, says, verse 6, this is Achish speaking. As the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, as the Lord lives, You have been honest, and to me it seems right that you should march out and in with me. For I found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. And then verse 7, so go back now and go peaceably. Now when you have a divided heart, and if you've been living with your divided heart for long enough, you start to believe your own lies. And David can't help himself, so he keeps up the charade. Look at verse 8, and he says, But what have I done? You hear the pity? That this would happen to me. And you know, when I read it, I can't help but to think that David sincerely is wondering this question. He is like out of touch with his own lies. But Achish tells him to take his men and go home, and that's what happens. And David with his divided heart, is delivered and saved. He doesn't have to fight against his own people. He doesn't have to defect and get killed by Saul. And once again, in spite of David, David is preserved. Now, there might be this temptation to read this story and say, man, David is lucky. Really, he caught a break here. But if you do that, you'll miss the point of the whole story. When this pagan king preserves the life of David, right, by saying, as surely as the capital L-O-R-D, he is taking Israel's covenant name, their name for God. This is not Elohim, a generic name word for the for god or gods when the pagan is saying as surely as the lord lives then it means that god god the reader is being is being warned this is all god you must not ignore the unseen mover in david's story in david's life with his quiet but sure mercy David does not see God, but God's quiet mercy has been moving in David's life from the very beginning. And I mean from the very beginning of David's life. Do you remember, do you remember how David's life starts? God looks at the youngest son of Jesse, the runt, the one who wasn't even invited to the party, who's taking care of the sheep. And God says, I see a king in this little boy. 
Now, God sees all of David's brokenness too, but he sees through all of that. He sees through this king to a good future for his people. And this is the deep and unifying and mysterious and merciful truth of God and his people. We are looking at the story and we're tracing it to see our story. God will always be faithful, even in unseen ways, with his quiet mercy. God will always be faithful to the promises that he makes. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And so it is. God will always be faithful to even guys like David with blood on his hands, even with a divided and duplicitous and numb and manipulating heart. Like, are you hearing what I'm saying to you? This is the very best news that people like us will hear today. God is faithful to his promises, he, the ones that he makes to be our God, even and especially when we are duplicitous and divided and unfaithful. God made promises to be our God, especially because, precisely because we are unfaithful. That's why he codified it in a promise, because it couldn't be mutual. It couldn't be reciprocal. It required a promise, not a deal. And becoming a mature Christian is tracing our story to understand God and understanding our own hearts. We must, you guys, see and think and ask questions about all the ways that we have been carried through in our lives. We must trace and remember all the times in which God's quiet mercy and goodness were present in our lives. Think about that hard moment. Think about it. And trace God's quiet mercy in that moment. Even if we couldn't perceive the unseen mover working in the moment, all those times that we're caught up in our own duplicitous nonsense, and yet still we come out delivered with a new wisdom that comes when we are tasting and seeing God's quiet mercy. How many times has the quiet care of God's presence of God been present with us amid our fears, uncertainty, loss, upheaval? How many times? How many times? Trace it. Trace it. You must. God can be very quiet about these things. You know, most of God's work in our lives can be very understated and subdued. And I don't pretend to know why God primarily works in unseen and quiet ways. 
But here's what I do know. I know that our faith is strengthened and encouraged if we can make a habit to trace out God's unseen hand in our lives. If we can make it a habit to look for his quiet mercy moving toward us for our good. Can you tell your story that way? And this, Denver Prez, is the meaning and the accomplishment of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Traced well past David to a better and eternal king. And Jesus was exceptionally straightforward about this. He didn't try to hide it. He says, he says I did not come for the well, but for the sick. And by sick, what he means is duplicitous and divided-hearted people. Those whose stories are plagued and colored with nonsense because of their divided heart. I did not come for the well, but for the divided heart. And may our lives be enriched by opening our hands wide enough to admit who we are and that we need someone who is not us, someone who floods our loud nonsense with quiet but sure mercy, someone whom we can place our hope for forgiveness and healing and change. And that one is Jesus. Amen. Amen.